Wow. That's a great sound. Let me ask this. How many have met somebody that you didn't know was here? Yeah. There you go. Well, it's great to see you all this morning, and we uh, welcome you. Wasn't that some great worship that we've had this morning? Praise God. Now, before I dive into what I'm going to share with you from the Word of God, I want to make an announcement um, of a change in ministry here that's um, happening and that we're very excited about and uh, that we are, uh, both as pastors and elders, are very much in unity about um, and uh, it's to do with our youth uh, department and, uh, and also a department that we um, have designed. You know that we say that our vision is to connect, grow, and go, okay? So you connect here with Jesus and you connect with people. You grow in your faith. But the whole intention is, is that we go and spread the gospel and take it both to the ends of the earth, but also across the street. Amen? And so um, in the whole area of um, the grow department of our church, um, there is going to be a change. So let me tell you what is going to be happening. Um, we have decided that um, we're going to change the positions of um, Joe Greenwald and, uh, and make him now our grow pastor. You know that Joe is our youth pastor, um, but um, he's been feeling the time of transition, and uh, we, we've been feeling that Joe has grown and has come to a place uh, where we feel now he needs to move into the adult area of the church, and so he is going to become our grow pastor. That means he's going to be over every part of discipleship. He's going to be over teaching classes, training classes, and, uh, and also small groups will be a very important part of what he will be involved in. And also the whole prayer side of the church uh, is all now going to be in Joe's hands, and uh, we're very excited about that. Joe and Elizabeth, stand up if you will. There they are. They've done an incredible job for us. done an incredible job over the last five years that they've been with us, and we want them here forever. And uh, we love them. Amen. And so in the youth department, the youth now is going to be under the uh, leadership and pastoring of Andy King. He is going to be taking over the youth area of the church, and um, he's disappeared. Let's not have him stand. But We're very excited about that, and so um, this will all come into being at at the end of the month. Um, It will be that Andy will be the youth pastor, Joe will be our grow pastor, and uh, we're very excited about where it is going. Now, uh, I need to say this, that um, you weren't the first to know this. We usually bring announcements like this to the congregation before we tell anyone else. But you know, Joe and Elizabeth have been pastoring the youth for the last five years, and Joe requested that the youth under his care should be the first to hear the news, and so he brought the news to them on Wednesday night. We agreed for that to happen. How many know that's how it should be? Um, He's pastored them, he's looked after them, and uh, we're thrilled about that. 
Uh, and so these changes, as I say, will take place from the end of the month and will uh, really kick off in the new year when we really start to um, push forward into the will of God and the plan of God for our church. Now that brings me to today's message uh, that I'm going to share with you from the Word of God. We're on week two of a series that we are calling Heart for the House. It's a series of messages that are leading up to the Sunday before Thanksgiving when we want to take a huge offering so that we can end the year in the black as a church and also um, launch into 2015 um, knowing that we are going into the will of God um, with finance backing us. And so that Sunday, the last Sunday, uh, it's not the last Sunday of the month, it's the Sunday um, before Thanksgiving, the 23rd, um, we will take up a huge offering, an end of the year offering that is going to bless the church. Church. So last week, as I started this series, I talked about a guy named Jacob. He's a guy from the Old Testament, a very important man in the Old Testament. And uh, I want to continue talking to, uh, to you about him uh, just for a little while this morning. And I want to move the story ahead from when we met him, and I'll talk about that in a moment, to about 20 years on, 20 years after we met him. We met him last week, and, uh, and now we're going to pick it up 20 years on. You remember that we met him as a man on the run. We, we said that he was uh, running from his brother Esau, because he had cheated Esau out of the birthright that was rightly his. Jacob had gone into his aging father and his half-blind father. He had disguised himself so that Jacob thought it was Esau that was in front of him. But actually it was Jacob. And now uh, it was that the father blessed Jacob with the family blessing of birthright that really belonged to Esau, but he didn't see it, he didn't know it. He laid his hands on Jacob, and Jacob received the birthright blessing. Now, now that was huge back in those days, because not only did it mean that now this son who had the birthright blessing would be the leader of the family into the future, but also it meant that he would get the, uh, twice as much income as the other brothers and sisters. And so now he had not only been cheated out of being the leader of the family, but now he'd also been cheated out of an income increase that would have come to him as the man who had the birthright. While Jacob knew that his brother was after him, that he was a hunter and a trapper, and he knew that he had to get and, and flee for his life because now this man, Esau, had vowed, I'm going to take the life of Jacob. And so he's a man on the run. Now, he, is, he has been going a while, and he comes to stop at a camping site uh, that was just outside the city called Luz. Uh, and, and in that camping site was springs of water. It was a place that people stopped off on their journey and took a rest and, and, and got drink and, and, and was able then to go on with their journey. Well, while he was there, while he was at that camping site, he had an encounter with God. Oh, it was that God got a grip on his life. 
God came to him in a dream, and in a dream he had this encounter with God that was to change his life forever. Well, at that point, it was such a, a, a moment that he erected a stone, and he anointed the stone with oil, the Scripture says, and he now called that place by a different name. He called it by the name of Bethel. You see, the word Bethel in the Hebrew, it means Beth, which is house, and E-L-L, which is God. It's a name of God. And so he said, this is none other than the house of God. And he named it there, the house of God. It was the first time in the Bible any place had been called the house of God. It was a place where he encountered God and he got direction for his life. Well, he got up from there because, remember, he was still a man on the run. And, and it was that he left that area that was known as Beersheba. And he carried on running until he crossed the border into a place called Haran, which actually is the modern-day Turkey. And so he went out of Israel into Turkey, and there he lived for 20 years. He stayed there for 20 years. It was like someone leaving Florida, going north and crossing the border into Canada and now living in Canada. He was now there and he was there for 20 years. And, uh, and while he was there, it, it was that um, he had two things that he was looking for. Number one, he was looking for safety. And number two, he was looking for a wife. And so how many know when you're looking for a wife, you'll go anywhere, <laughs> even to Turkey? But, but he went, and, and, and he went up in, well, I should say even into Canada, but there you go. But the thing is, he went there for safety and to find a wife. Now, after 20 years, and, and let me tell you, it was that for, for 14 years, he served in order to get his wife, Oh, it's a long story. I'm not going to go into that. But he had to serve this guy for 20 years to get the wife that he really wanted to marry. And then he had another six years there where he had to work and where he had to now earn the right to get animals that were part of his heritage and, and herd that he would take with him if he ever left that place. Well, there he is serving, and now he's got his wife, and he's got the animals that he wanted, when suddenly God spoke to him again. And God, he, he said to him, you'll read it in Genesis 31, 13, he says, I am the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar, and where you made a vow to me. Now arise and get out of this land, and return to the land of your family if you like, it was God saying to him, I want you to get back home and I want you to get back to church. I'm the God of Bethel. Remember that place, Jacob, where you met with me? You remember that place that you anointed and where you made a vow to me? He says, I want you to get back to that place. I want you to get back to that place of my first encounter with you. I want you to get back to that place where you met with me and I met with you. And so in Jacob's mind, he got excited because he remembered that encounter with God. He remembered what happened there at Bethel when he met God in reality. 
And so he said, I'm going back there. If you like, he was saying, I'm going back to church. I'm going back to the house of God. I'm going back where I had that encounter with God. You see, I want to talk to you very quickly this morning of, on the subject of what makes church, church. Is it just a building you come to? Is it just a place that you come to? Or or what makes church, church? Jacob, in being told by God to return to Bethel, would immediately remember what happened there. He would immediately remember the fact of what took place there. The first thing he would remember was that it was a place of a divine connection. You see, Jacob had experienced God there. It was a life-transforming moment for him. Uh, he, He could say after being there and having this encounter, I'd heard about God, but now I know him. I'd heard all about God, but now I know him in reality. And so having been to Bethel, he knew that it was a place of a divine encounter. Do you know, there are many people here today, and I I want you to help me. I'm going to ask you to help me uh, as I talk about this. But there are many people here today who can tell you of times where they have come into this room and they have had a a very definite divine encounter with God. They have come into this room and God has shown up to them. uh, You know, God is everywhere, but there are times when God makes his presence felt. And there are many people who have come to this place and they have encountered the presence of God. You see, in the presence of God, supernatural things can happen. You you can't always explain it, but you know that it has happened. I've had people talk to me as they've leave, leave in church and they've said, I don't know what happened in there this morning, but I'm not going out the same as I came in. I've been changed. I'm not leaving the same as I come in. I've been changed. You find that there are people, um, and and I had this experience this morning in first service. uh, We we started singing these songs that just been put together by the leading of God, I believe. And uh, and that second song started to now get deep inside of me. And I suddenly found that I was weeping my eyes out here. And I I was thinking, am I having a breakdown? What's happening here? Uh, And I realized that I was having a divine moment of an encounter with God and I began to weep and weep and weep. How how many know that this is a place where you can have a divine encounter with God? And so people are moved to tears here. Some are moved to laughter here. I've been in this place where this place has suddenly erupted with laughter as people have got overjoyed with the presence of God and there has been great joy in the house. How many know you can have fun in God's house and you can laugh in God's house? It's a place of great joy. I've been in this place when all that's happened is that there is complete silence. And hardly anyone has wanted to breathe, it seemed, because the presence of God was so thick upon us that it just was a divine encounter in the silence of the moment. It's a place where you can be taken from extremes in your emotions. 
You can be here, and, and because of the presence of God here, you can find that God who is all holy and God who is sinless now shows up, and you feel unclean, and you don't feel that you're worthy to be in the room. You don't feel that you should be here, and your sins seem to be so great, and you begin to weep because of your sins, when suddenly God comes, and He says, yes, but let me tell you something about your sins. I've forgiven every one of them. You are washed. You are clean. You are set free. You are born again. It is a transforming experience. So you're taken from extreme, extreme sadness over your sin to extreme joy over the fact that you are forgiven. How many thank God you're forgiven this morning by the blood of Jesus Christ? So we have people that have even come in here, and they haven't come to meet with God. They've just come to church. (laughs) They're just doing the religious thing. They've come in here. Maybe someone's invited them, or maybe someone's dragged them along. Maybe someone has said, I'm going to take you to lunch, but the only thing is I'm not paying for the lunch unless you come to church with me, and so you came. But the fact is, they've come in here, and they haven't even wanted to be here. But suddenly, being in this room, there is a divine encounter that takes place. And now they're in the very presence of God. It's a divine connection. How many thank God that you've had a divine connection with God? But not only that, you know, but this place is not only a place of a divine connection, it is also a place of divine conversations. You see, Jacob was returned to return to Bethel where God spoke to him. Oh yeah, he, he'd, he'd never known God in reality until that day at Bethel in the house of God. He'd never known God in reality until it was that he was in that place and God showed up and now began to talk to him. And you know, friends, church is a place, it's been my experience that God has spoke to me in this church It may have been through the worship. As the worship is going on, I found God has been speaking deep inside of me. It may have been while the word has been preached that that it is that suddenly I find it's not the preacher's words, it's now God speaking to me. It may have been in a prophetic word that is given. It may be someone under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit gives a word and it's a divine word into your life. It may be Christian friends who have come to you and they have spoke to you and they have talked to you about your life and they've told you things about your life they could never have known but but they loved you so much they wanted to say, I've heard this word from God for you and you have found that through your friends God is speaking to you. You see, the fact is that God will speak to us. And so we have all had these divine conversations in this room. Let let me tell you that some of the conversations I've had have been conversations of correction. Oh, where, where God has turned up and He's corrected my life. Now, when we talk of correction, many people get a negative thought about the word correction. They don't like the word correction. They don't like the thought of being corrected. Well, personally, I don't see that word as negative. I see it as positive. 
And, and, and I wonder how I could illustrate this to you, but let me, let me do it this way. So imagine now I'm on a journey and I'm going to a city and I've got a destination in sight. I'm going to some festival or something that's on in that city. And I get to the city, but I come now to a four-way stop. And, and um, to get to where I need to go, I, I should now take a left turn and, and carry on down that road and my destination's down there. But for some reason, I take a right turn. And suddenly I hear a voice. It says, recalculating. How many know that's the GPS? All right, the global positioning system. And now the GPS kicks in and and it says, recalculating. Turn right at your next possible convenient right turn. Um, You see, the GPS knows where I need to go. I, I, I wonder how she knows that. I have this lady come with a wonderful English accent. And, and I wonder, who told her? I, I know I put an address in there, but who told her that I had to turn left there? Uh, it's amazing. And, and she must do that for lots and lots of people, so she must be really busy. But the thing is, uh, she says, turn right at your next possible, and she was going to direct me back on track to get a correct route on track. I call my GPS Lola, by the way, because I don't like to think that she hasn't got a name. But, and so I call her Lola. Now, you know, when, when, it, when it was that I took the wrong, wrong turn, she didn't say to me, you're an absolute idiot king. You took a right turn when I told you to take a left turn. You're just a driving idiot. Turn around. She never said that. She just said, recalculating. And, and you know what I found? The GPS never quit. She, Lola never gives up on me. She keeps nagging me and, and says, you've got to turn right and turn around. And, and she never quit. She's trying to get me back on track And even when I think she's wrong and go opposite to what she's telling me, she never gets mad with me and says, stop this car. I want to get out. You're not listening to what I'm saying. Just stop the car. I want to get out. No, she just says, recalculating. How many know that God's like that? Doesn't call me an idiot. When I make bad choices and go in wrong directions with my life, never tells me it's through with me, never stops trying to help me, never stops trying to redirect my wayward steps, just keeps saying, recalculating, and he seeks to guide me back on track. He seeks to correct my direction. He's correcting the way that I'm going. Hey, now I have to tell you about Lola. There are times where I get so sick of Lola that I, and, and her directions, and I think she's taking me on a wrong track. I just turn the thing off. I say, goodbye, Lola. I'm going to do it my way. And, 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 and I go off, and, and always, always when I'm in a worse state than I was, I put it back on, and she says, recalculating. And she now begins to guide me again. And uh, I, 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 how many know that that's 
And maybe it's only me, but I have to tell you there are times when I turn God off. When he's trying to redirect my life and I want to go my way and not his way. And, and I, I turn him off, and, I, and I, now I go, I go the way that I think. And how many know that I can tell you many times when I've come back to him and I said, I'm sorry. Your ways are better than my ways. Your direction is better than my direction. God, I want you to forgive me. I want you to correct my steps and take me into a right direction. And always, 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 he never scolds me. He never beats me up. He never comes and and, and forces me into anything. He just says, recalculating. (laughs) And he gets me back on track and he directs my steps and directs my ways. I want you to know, friends, I have got the greatest corrector of my steps in all of, uh, in all of creation. His name is our God, and he redirects our steps. And so we have conversations like that at church. We have these corrective conversations. There are many who have made bad choices, and God, through his word, or through our other worship, or through our thinking, or through people talking, uh, he comes and says, hey, recalculating, you, you're going in the wrong direction. He'll come and say, recalculating, hey, really, that relationship that you're getting into is not a healthy relationship. You need to correct your steps. He comes and says, recalculating, the places that you used to go, that you're starting to go back to and doing the things that you used to do, that's not good for you. I need to direct you back in the right direction. And he says, recalculating. He says, recalculating. You can't live with one foot in the world and one foot in the church, one foot in your old life and one foot in following Jesus. He says, you need to give me all your life and walk in totally my way. Recalculating. Recalculating. You know, you're gossiping and you're backbiting. And you're saying things about people you shouldn't be saying. And you're spreading rumors that you shouldn't be spreading. That is not my will for you. That is not the way of those who are dedicated followers of Jesus Christ. Recalculating. You need to get your mouth cleaned up a little bit. And he tries to redirect us and bring correction. But how many know it's a good thing that we not only get words of correction, we get words of direction. Oh yes, notice God said to Jacob, go back to Bethel. God was redirecting his life. How many know before we came to Jesus, we did just what we wanted? We went in our way and we did our thing. We were directing our own life. We were doing what we wanted to do and living the way we wanted to live. But now we have surrendered our lives to Jesus. And one of the reasons that we surrender our lives to Jesus is we always mess up when we're left to ourselves, when we're doing our own thing. But Jesus comes into our lives and now he wants to direct our lives. Uh, Somebody said to me, well, that means that you're a robot, that you are now under the control of God and that God is the one that's directing you. And so you're a robot. And I say, thank God, because when I was doing my own thing, I was messing up every time. But now I'm in the hands of God and he's directing me. I want to be a robot for God. Amen. I want to do what he wants me to do and go where he wants me to go. 
So we come to him with our questions of direction. What's the right job that I should take? It's not always tied up in the amount of money that I'm offered. You know, it's knowing what God wants me to do. And, and, and how about this one? Who should I marry? Now, bring the lights up a little bit in the congregation. Can you do that for me? It's important we have. Can we have the lights up a little bit? All right, now, now. How many single people are out there? Just put your hand up if you're single. All right, keep them up. Keep those hands up if you're single. All right. Now, guys, you should be looking around right now. All right, guys, look around. Some wonderful, wonderful ladies out there. All right. Hey, we haven't got many marriages booked into the church for next year, so come on, get a move on. All right, get it moving here. Make it happen. All right. But how many know you shouldn't marry just anyone? You should say, God, I want you to direct me to the right one. And and, and questions like, what does a Christian spouse look like? What what does a Christian wife look like? What does a Christian husband look like? How should I direct my life? What does a Christian parent look like? So that now we're asking and getting these divine conversations with God saying, direct me, God. I want to know how to be a good spouse. I want to know how to be a good parent. Oh, God, direct my life. And and God, what kind of worker should I be? I see people who are working and they're miserable and they cause trouble and they do all sorts of things wrong. But God, what kind of worker should I be? And God says you should be the kind of worker that you are working as if you are working for Jesus. And when you work for Jesus, you'll get promotion. I promise you, you'll get promotion. Where does God want me to serve in the church? I could do this and I could do that or I could do anything. But where does God want me to serve with my gifts and my talents within the church? You see, it's better to live our lives by God's direction. Not doing what we want to do or going where we want to go, but now by His direction. Uh, You know, I, I, I get saddened by the number of Christians Um, who now are in the place of doing their own thing, not what God wants them to do. It's like they say, I want God in my life. I want him there for safety because I don't want to go to hell. I I want God in my life because something might go wrong and I'll need God. I, I want God in my life, but I don't want him to tell me what to do. I don't want him to tell me how to live. I don't want to live according to his word and and his plans. There are many Christians that are doing that. But friends, you can't be a true follower of Jesus and do that. Because the fact is that Jesus wants to direct our steps. For instance, there are people who think they can take or leave church attendance. I'll go this week, not next week. I'll go when I want to go. When they don't understand that... God in his word says, I want you to come together at least one time a week. I want you to meet in my house. Called it a Sabbath. It's a time where we meet to celebrate and worship God together. You know what makes God's house God's house? It's not the bricks and the mortar that this building is made of. It's the people that come into this house. It is the people that come together here that make it the house of God. Now, it's gone quiet on that, so I'll move on. All right. 
Amen. So there's conversations of correction, there's conversations of direction, and how many thank God there's conversations of inspiration. You know, one thing I love about Lola, (laughs) that's my GPS, I, I, I love it when suddenly she'll say, arriving at your destination 500 yards on the right. How many know that's a great inspiring word when you're used to getting lost and going in wrong directions, but Lola's saying, it's just 500 yards on the right. And how many love to come to the house of God where God now speaks inspiring words into us, saying, you can make it. You are not going to fail. You're not going to mess up. You're going to be one that I am directing and I'm blessing and I'm leading. I'm going to take you to a better life than you've ever had before. How many love to know that God is saying, you'll soon make it, you'll soon be home. Whether it's being by the undertaker or the upper taker, we're on the way to heaven, and that's inspiring words, friends. How many know it's inspiring when God says, I'm for you and I'm not against you? How many know that it is inspiring words when God says, the old life has gone, the new one has come, you're in my grip, you're in my hands, and I'm taking you in the direction that I want you to go? How many know that it's inspiring when when God says, you can achieve great things? With with man, things are impossible, but with God, all things are possible. How many know that it's inspiring when God tells you that you can do that job, that you can achieve that goal, that you can make it, that it can be that you are going to find as you open your mouth and you begin to share your faith with others, that others are going to come to know Jesus and are going to come into the same experience of Jesus that you have had. How many know that it's inspiring? When God says, I have a work for you to do, that you're not a nobody and a nothing, you are my child, and I'm going to use you in my kingdom. He inspires us as we come together in the house of God. And then because of time, let me finish here, that Jacob was told not only to go back to the place where he had that encounter with God, not only to go back where he had those conversations But Jacob was told to go back to the place of his first commitment. How many here today, here's where I want you to help me. How many here today, be honest with you, bring the lights up just a little please. How many here today, and if you're honest you'll say, yeah, that's me. How many would say, deep down in 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 my heart, I want to put God first. How many would say, I want to put God first. In my life, I want to put God first. See, the thing is, the thing is, this is what Jacob remembered. God said to him, I'm the God of Bethel, where you anointed the pillar and where you made a vow to me. The vow that he made was that he was going to follow God for the rest of his days. The vow that he made there was a vow that was putting God first in his life. It wasn't wasn't that at that place called Bethel, the house of God, that he said to God, well, I'm going to live a hit and miss life. You know, sometimes I'll follow you, sometimes I won't. No, he was making a commitment. Now, I want you to listen carefully to me. Uh, And we're we're watching the clock, so you'll be out of here on time, all right? I don't know what time that is, but you'll be out of here on time. (laughs) You know... In the last 50 years, there has been a huge change taking place in America. 
One of the changes that's been taking place is the number of people um, that are now deciding that they're not going to marry, they're going to live together. A huge rise in the number of people saying that they're going to live together and not get married. In the 1960s, one in 10 couples lived together. Nowadays, six out of 10 couples live together. Can you believe that? More than half the couples today uh, simply decide that they're not going to marry, they're going to live together. And how many know that's a sad reflection of the lost culture that has been in America? And, and listen, I'm not a Brit talking to you. I, I am a, an American. All right, I stood yesterday. Hey, by the way, yesterday I went and watched Peoria Central beat Metamora and uh, are on the way to the next round of the thing, you know. But before they started, they, they played the, the, the anthem. I had my hand there. I took my hat off. I was wearing a hat because it was so cold. And, and, and I sang. The, so listen, I am an American. Been American a lot of years now. But the thing is this. Listen, I'm not attacking Americans. It's worldwide. In fact, it may be worse worldwide. But you know, 50 years ago in the good old US of A, biblical values like discipline, and dedication, and commitment, and loyalty, and integrity were held high. But since then, it's been a downward, a downhill movement, where now these values don't count anymore. The values of discipline, and dedication, and commitment, and loyalty, and integrity, they're fastly disappearing You know, largely speaking, Americans nowadays are very bad about making solid commitments and following through on them. Uh, Many of uh, Americans are unreliable. They're uncommitted. They're undedicated. And they're just plain flaky about keeping their word. No longer true that a man's word is his bond. Many have no qualms about giving their word, but they're not keeping their word. Especially if it's not in their best interest to keep their word. How many know it's the height of integrity where you keep your word even when it's not in your best interest? And so it is that these values have been fastly disappearing. And and friends, let me just say this. It is sad, but it's creeping into the church of Jesus Christ. We can no longer rely on on people who say, I will be there, I will do this, I will do that. We can't rely on that. We have to wait to the day nervously hoping that they'll keep their word, but many don't. I believe that it should be different for the disciples of Jesus Christ. We should be known by a different character set altogether. Those who are the church of Jesus Christ should be different. So I wondered, why do people decide to live together but not marry? And this may be an oversimplification, but I believe the primary reason is that they want to experience all the benefits of marriage without any of its commitment and responsibilities. So they want to 
live together, but they don't want the commitment of a marriage. They don't want the responsibilities that come in a marriage. They want the benefit of sexual relationship without making a permanent commitment. And so it is that they get into living together. And the feeling is is that uh, if things don't go according to plan, if things don't work out the way we hope they will, and how many know in every marriage and in every relationship, things will not work out the way you plan. Something, Something is going wrong somewhere. Something's not going to work somewhere. So it is guaranteed that something is going to go wrong. There's going to be problems, difficulties, and bills that are going to come in. And the fact is that they feel that if they're not in a marriage, they can opt out, they can run away, they cannot face their responsibilities and their commitment. And they don't even need to file for divorce. So there are people that do that. But you know what's sadder? For me, anyway, there are people in America who attend church but they're not committed members of any church. That saddens me. They want the benefits of church life. Like hearing the worship like we've had this morning and, and hearing the word preached. And, and they, they, they want to be in the place where they can join together with other believers like this and, and they want pastors to be available if they need some you know, some uh, direction or they, they need some counseling. And they, need, they want pastors there if it is that they need some prayer because someone is sick or, or to be there when someone is dying. But they don't want the commitment or the responsibility of church. Now someone should be shouting now, now you're preaching. <laughs> but the fact is, friends, that is so sad See, they don't want the responsibilities of being a member of the church, like serving in the church or giving financially to the church's needs. They don't want to use their spiritual gifts within the church. It is that they don't want to submit to leaders of the church. And so it is that to be committed to a local church, they know will mean the sacrifice of time and energy. Many times when we don't feel like it, we have to turn up. And, and many times when we don't feel like it, we have to get out of bed and come. Uh, there have been mornings, friends, when I, I, I've said to Letty, I'm not getting out of bed. Give me one reason why I need to get out of bed and go. She said, well, number one, you're the pastor. And number two, you're preaching. <laughs> Responsibilities. Could be doing something else. But we have these responsibilities to be in the house of God. Because it's the will of God. You know, the Bible is very clear that he wants people to be committed members of a local church. He wants us to walk these aisles and to say, I do, to a specific local church. This morning, there are going to be people that are going to walk down to the front before we close here in a few minutes, and they're going to become members of the church. They went through our membership class to hear all about what being a church member is, and now they've come to the moment where they're going to walk the aisles and say, 
I do. I want to be a committed member of a church. I don't want to just attend a church. I don't want to just uh, live with other Christians in a church. I want to be a committed member of the church. Now, very quickly, listen to what Jacob said. God spoke to him and said, I am the God of Bethel where you anointed the pillar and you made a vow to me. And you know what the vow was, friends? This is the vow that he made. You'll find it in Genesis 28, 20. It says, then Jacob made a vow saying, if God will be with me and keep me in his ways that I'm going and give me bread to eat and clothing to put on so that I come back to my father's house in peace, then the Lord shall be my God. And this stone which I have set as a pillar shall be God's house and of all that, I, that you give me, I will surely give a tenth to you. An amazing thing happened in the first service. A lady came up to me before first service, and, and she said, she put $10 in my hand. She said, will you take this, and will you put this in the offering for me? I said, uh, why don't you put it in? She said, well, listen, this is a very special $10. She said, I, I have been... Um, uh, she, she said, I've been in a totally wrong lifestyle in the past, and, and, and I, I haven't been able to work because of the lifestyle. She said, I came here, I found Jesus, and she said, I've got into this little business, and this week I earned $100, and I want to give my 10% to God. I want to give my 10% to God. That's what Jacob meant when he said, I'll give a tenth to you. It meant, I'll give, I'll give ten cents out of every dollar to you, God. That's what a tithe is. That's tithing. And, and Jesus put it this way in Matthew six nineteen: Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is. There your heart will be also. You know, that verse is almost misquoted always. Because we, we, we do it this way. Where your heart is, there your treasure will be also. It doesn't say that. It says where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In, in, in other words, where we put our treasure is where our heart is. It, it, you know, if you, if you want to um, know whether or not God is first in your life. Ask yourself the question, where do I put my money? All right? Where do I put my money? If God is first, if God is first, do I first of all put aside money for God before I use my money anywhere else? If God is first... And you say, well, you know, I only get a little bit of money. Let me tell you something that's absolutely true. If you don't give to God when you've got little, you won't give to God when you've got a lot. Oh, no, I, I know that to be true. And the fact is that God says, if you, want, if you want me to know whether you're putting me first, if you want me to know whether it is that you are putting me first, it's where you put your money that I look up because where your treasure goes, that's where your heart is. He says, if you're saying I'm first, then I, I'm looking and wondering if it is that your treasure hasn't come <laughs> Before your heart, because if you say you've given me your heart and you want me first, then your treasure should be with me. You know, I don't give my money to Riverside Community Church. I give it to God. Now, now I bring it here to put it in, 
I bring it here to put it in. I, I trust this local church with my money. And, and the fact is that I put it in, but I'm giving it to God. I'm putting God first. Now, let me, let me close. Right this morning, 18 people have decided to be members of Riverside. Some of them were in first service. Some of them are in second. I told you they went through our membership class, and I'm going to read their names out now, and they're going to walk these aisles. And I want you to know, as you walk the aisles this morning, you're saying, I know what I'm doing. I'm committing myself to God in this church. That's what you're saying. I want it to be real for you. It's a very important moment that you are now saying, God first, then my family, and my church. I'm committing to this church. They are making a commitment, having thought it through. They've made the commitment, having sat through the membership class, and now they're saying, I want to be a committed member of this church. You know, I'm tempted to preach another sermon, but I'll stop. But listen. All right, so these are the people that are coming into membership today. Some of them were in first service, but I'm going to read them all anyway, all right? So if your name is Red, will you make your way to the front, please? Geraldine Arbuckle, Sean and Dawn B. Runs. I probably got that name wrong. B. Runs. I'm going to leave it at that, all right? Tierney Burdett. Yes. Brandy Huffman. Lorna Jenkins. Brett and Trixie Jones. Christina Ligas. Ketra Matthews. Irvin Pruitt III. Logren San Juan, Jameson Marcella Stewart, Anita Taylor, Sandra Westerfield, and Frank and Robin Winfrey. Yeah. Praise God. All right. I'm going to ask the elders that are here and any pastors that are here and their wives to come forward. And we're going to lay hands on these wonderful people and pray over them right now. You can keep facing the congregation. That's your family. Hey, family, meet your family. Now, before I pray, and, the, uh, and we, we lay hands on people here, I wonder where the Winfrey's were. There they are. They're balcony people, see? They've got to come down at the balcony. <laughs> I love those people. Uh, you know, before we pray, I, I've talked, you know, to you this morning in a very real way about the local church. You need to know two things about me. I love the local church. Oh yeah, I love Jesus, but you can't separate Jesus from his church. I love the local church. And I also believe that the local church is the hope of the world. 
When a local church is working properly, there's nothing like it on earth. And I know we've been through our ups and downs over the years. I've been here 20 years now. And we've been through our ups and downs. And we've had a rough up and down over the last few years. But we're still here. We're still serving Jesus in the heart of the city. And I believe that our future is better than our past. Now, if you are a member here right now, uh, I want you to uh, stand, if you will, and reach out your hands towards these wonderful people that are coming into membership. And let me, let me add this. If you're here this morning and you say, I'm not a member, but John, I want to put God first. I want God to be first in my life. Why don't you stand right now and just reach out your hands to these who are at the front too. Amen. Praise God. Father, it is an awesome privilege to be here right now and to see these wonderful people to have heard their stories and the amazing ways that you have brought them to yourself. And you have honored us with placing these wonderful people in this church. We are so grateful to you. Father, it's not today that we're finding out about them. They've been serving you already in this church. They've been doing things for you in this church that have absolutely amazed us and shocked us. And, and Lord, I just love these people. And I just thank you for putting in their hearts to become members of this church, to make the commitment to walk the aisle and say, I do to this church and saying, we will go together into the future. And Lord, as we lay hands on them right now, I am praying that divine blessing will come upon them, that they will remember this day as a divine encounter time, a time where God says, from today on, things will be different. From today on, my blessing will be upon you. From today on, I'm going to use you for my glory. From today on, you're going to see me coming through for you in ways like you've never seen before. That, Lord, they will know that you're a God who keeps his promise. Father, hear me, I pray. I pray blessing upon these wonderful people. I pray blessing upon their families as they grow around them. I pray anointing upon them that will break the hold of the past and take them into a future that is better than they could ever have imagined. I pray, Lord Jesus, that they will know that your hand is upon them now and that you're going to use them for the glory of your great name. Lord Jesus, these hands of my sister are going to be used to pray for the sick and see them recovered. I believe that. The Lord just told me that about you. You will pray for the sick and see them recovered. Lord, that it will be that they will know anointing as they've given themselves wholly to you, that you're going to use them and bless them. Oh God, you're going to bless them. Your past is gone. The wounds are being healed and the Lord has given you a brand new day and a brand new start. You are the child of God that he loves. He's not going to let you down. He's going to lead and guide you. Oh God, I pray, my brother and sister, oh Oh, God, the Lord wants you to know he's never gone back on his call. And, and that there's a new day dawning and it's going to be bigger than you anticipate. That the Lord has heard your cry and seen your plea. And that you are going to find that God's going to lead in a direction you never expected. And that you can say, only God could have done that. 
Now, Lord, bless them, I pray. As I pray for them, I pray for this whole congregation that they will know as they get committed to you, they are committed to the God of the universe who never lets anyone down. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. Give God thanks for these wonderful people.